I'm Danielle. And I'm Christy. And you are listening to Snacks with Stein. Let's do it. Snacks with Stein. I'm Christy. Danielle is in California. Hello. We are so happy to have you back with us again today for another story. Okay, so before we get started, real quick, we do have a Patreon toast. We have a new patron. Help me with the pronunciation. Is it Teresa Tassone or Tassoni? Tassoni. Tassoni. So Teresa Sony, aka our number one fan, has signed up to be part of Team Snacks, and we are very grateful. If everybody could please raise a glass for our Patreon toast. Here's to a long and happy life. May your wit be as sharp as a knife. We hope you dance in the street, but only from six feet. And one day, be Jamie Frazier's wife. Cheers. Danielle, do you want to talk about uh, what snacks you're enjoying tonight? I am having a C's Candy Cafe Olay Lollipop. Ooh. Cool. Well, that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. That is good because tonight's book is kind of long. Disclaimer, this is going to be one of our longer episodes, um, but it was actually a really good book. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to chop it up and try to fit it into a certain time frame. We're just going to kind of let this go and see what happens. So tonight's book is Blind Date. And I chose this book because we have not had a point horror book in a little while. The last time we did it was when we did The Snowman. And I know that we definitely have some diehard point horror only fans. We wanted to give them a nod and we also wanted to check out this book. As far as the point horror series goes, I think that this particular book, that Blind Date, it's also kind of a fan favorite. You you hear about it a lot. It's one that comes up in those threads a lot that people have read and that they're looking for for the collection. So I just wanted us to check it out. This is probably the earliest book that we've done on the show so far. It's copyrighted in 1986. Oh, wow. Yeah, by Scholastic Inc. Um, and according to Wikipedia, this is point horror number one. So this is the first in the series. This came before Fear Street. This came before Goosebumps. This was kind of probably like the segue into this whole dynasty that was going to be built for R.L. Stein. The cover on this one, it's it's very simple. It's, it's an outside scene of like a door of a house. And it's got one of those doorbells. Remember the doorbells with like the lights in them? So you could see them at night to ring the bell at night. So it's got one of those and somebody with like a kick-ass manicure and like a spiral snake kind of bangle bracelet. She's about to ring the bell. 
And the light from the bell is actually not that like bright white light, it's a chartreuse kind of green. And it's throwing green all over the scene and making everything look kind of scary. And the tagline says, it's going to be a real scream. Up top, 80s disclaimer, this is new. We haven't had to do this. So this book has a ton of 80s pop culture references, okay? If you are of a certain age, you may want to have Google pulled up um, <laughs> because if you want to understand what Stein is talking about, that's going to be sort of important. If you are of another age, you just get yourself a drink and settle in because <laughs> I laughed out loud at writing the script a number of times purely out of nostalgia. Okay, so here we go. This book opens on the football field. <laughs> Ew. But, okay. Um, <laughs> it's kind of myth. In a minute, and you're already saying ew. <laughs> ew. Yeah, not my thing. Sorry. But I do like the fall, and football kind of goes like hand in hand with the fall. <laughs> and this is like mid-fall in a small town. The air is crisp, and the leaves have just turned. And we're learning things from the perspective of Carrie, who is a dude. And Carrie has just possibly broken the leg of another football player, Sal. Sal is some kind of like big shit high school football player. Sal plays first string quarterback and Carrie plays second string quarterback. Wilson, who is another player on the team, is pissed. And he throws a punch at Carrie and he's accusing him of trying to hurt Sal on purpose so that Carrie could play first string. The team mascot is the Panthers, which is really going to be distracting for me because I cheered in high school and our mascot was the Panthers. That's, I'm blocking out cheers as we go. But <laughs> Carrie is for sure not die hard enough about football to have orchestrated this injury to Sal because he really doesn't care that much. He doesn't hate football, but he's just playing to make his dad happy. Everyone on the team is definitely ready to kick Carrie's ass for taking out their star player. Everyone but Carrie's close friend, Josh, who is cracking jokes, but mostly just to like break up the mounting tension. Like that's what Josh does. Josh cracks jokes. Sharon, who is Sal's girlfriend and also a cheerleader, comes running over and starts like screaming at Carrie for breaking Sal's leg. If you're wondering how he did that, so am I. Okay. I guess he fell on top of him somehow when he shouldn't have. I know fuck all about football. I was a cheerleader, but we never really watched the game. Like we just waited for the head cheerleader to like call the cheer <laughs> and checked out guys. And that was about it. Like that was the extent <laughs> of my involvement in football. So I don't know how, but somehow he did some kind of shitty thing that he shouldn't have done. And now Sal's legs broken. Okay. Everyone seems to think that he did it on purpose and everybody is super pissed. And an ambulance shows up and the coach tells Carrie to go wait in his office and sends everybody else off to the showers. 
Carrie heads to the office and we get a little bit of description about Carrie here. And it's hilarious. So, okay, so it's 1986, right? And Danielle, I'm gonna ask you, guess what 80s movie star our boy here is compared to? Okay. Just throw one out there, throw me anything. 80s movie star. What 80s movie star do you think our main character strongly resembles? Michael J. Fox. <laughs> That's a good guess. That's a good guess. But it's not right. I didn't think so. <laughs> it's Ralph Macchio. Oh, man. Okay. The Karate Kid. <laughs> So that's what Carrie looks like. Carrie looks like Ralph Macchio. Like he's he's in like a he's cute, but kind of in like a dorky kind of way. Ralph was never my type. No, I think it was like a swagger thing. Yeah. Like he looked like he was up to something and that's usually pretty <laughs> hot. But yeah, agreed. Like I, I liked a little more meat on the bones. Anywho. Carrie has or had, it's it's confusing, an older brother named Donald. Okay. Donald is pictured with all the winning teams in the like pictures set up in the coach offices. Like he's all over the trophy case. Donald was definitely some kind of like big shit football player when he used to play for that same team. Carrie, in fact, even wears his older brother's old jersey number, which is like number 11. Coach arrives and he tells Carrie that even though, you know, he believes that it was an accident, Carrie is 100% kicked off the team. Because, like, no way will the team play with him as quarterback. Hmm. They all want to kick his ass. And the coach can't have that kind of, like, drama going on. So he's he's bounced. Carrie goes to clean out his locker. When he walks out of the gym, he finds Josh waiting for him. They start to walk home. And Carrie tells Josh he's kicked off the team. A car pulls up to them, and it's carrying some very pissed off football players. And Sharon, Sal's girlfriend who throws a soda at Carrie and swears revenge before they drive off. Josh is trying to crack jokes and keep it light, and Carrie is just wondering what the hell he's going to tell his dad. When he gets home, the house is dark, and it's super depressing. Carrie has a younger brother, Sean, who's about 14. And Sean, the 14-year-old, is just, like, helping himself to a beer and some potato chips for dinner. A beer? He's watching, yeah, he's watching old reruns on TV. This is the 80s. He's watching old <laughs> reruns on TV. Their dad is a cop who oh. works a lot and is mostly never home. His mom moved out months ago, possibly when the older brother died, but again, it's very unclear. Carrie just refers to his older brother as, like, having left. Mm. Their mom just kind of checked out when whatever happened with Donald happened. And she only calls now, like, about once a month. So mom's not in the picture at all. He goes upstairs, and he has one of those, like, classic teen movie laying on the bed and feeling sorry for myself with, like, <laughs> sad indie rock playing... <laughs> And then the phone rings. And the girl on the other end asks for Carrie. She says she's his blind 
date. So the chick on the other end, she goes all like phone sex operator on him and tells him that like his friend Margot, who moved away, you know, she told her that she should call him because she's moving to town. He is supposed to be like the hottest guy around and might be, you know, willing to like show her around town. Okay. He does know who Margot is. He used to date Margot before she moved away, like, I don't know, a few months ago. So apparently Margot moved to this girl's town and set Carrie up with her without telling him. Okay. It's a thing. Um totally believable. So he, of course, is like hook, line, and sinker because, you know, she sounds hot. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can take you out. I can take you out and show you around. And so he, he writes down her name, which he thinks is Amanda, but he, I guess it, she said it really fast. She wasn't sure. And he takes down the address as well, and they make a date for, like, the next night. He's going to go pick her up and, like, take her out and show her around or whatever. Meanwhile, this whole time, she's been being very like kitten voice on the phone she's laughing at him she's being very sexual and like suggestive he's thinking game on like 100 percent doesn't know who this girl is but it seems like she wants to get it so cool right <laughs> he is pretty sure that by the sound of her voice and her laugh that she is super sexy and i know that this is like another time but he 100 percent has no idea what she looks like like, not the first clue. So he runs downstairs. He's going to tell his brother about this, like, random hot chick who just called him for a date. And he runs into his dad in the kitchen. Dad is going back out on patrol, but he wanted to stop in and check on the boys and remind them that there are McDonald's hamburgers in the freezer for dinner. And just to put them in the microwave when they get hungry. Okay grody um yeah super gross microwave rewarmed mcdonald's hamburgers fucking gross from when <laughs> uh, we don't know i think he buys them in bulk and puts them in the freezer and that's their dinner Ew. i know it's pretty gross carrie delivers the bad news that he was kicked off the football team and what follows is this, like, screaming match between Carrie and his dad, who I guess is obsessed with Donald, Carrie's older brother. Donald this and Donald that, and Carrie has serious middle child syndrome. So they're trying to talk through things, but they just, they end up screaming at each other. And here, something odd happens. We find out that Carrie for some reason, has memory loss. He knows that his older brother is gone in some kind of tragedy, but he can't remember it. In fact, most of the last year is missing from his memory. And I guess no one will tell him the truth. Or at least his dad won't, because that's what, like, most of the yelling is about. Carrie is a little more fucked up than we thought. Like, there's something else going on here. Later that night, Carrie is up way late trying to finish his English essay. English? That's hard to say. <laughs> English essay. 
He loves English. He's a pretty talented writer. He likes science fiction the best. But so he's working on this essay, and then the phone rings. And there's a girl on the other end. But not the sexy kind like before. This girl sounds hysterical and threatening. Her voice keeps changing pitch, and she's saying things like, sticks and stones will break your bones. Break your bones! And then she'll start laughing hysterically. Okay. He thinks this has to be Sharon, right? Sal's girlfriend? But she won't respond to any of his questions. She just starts singing that that bone song, you know, like the leg bones connected to the that but she's she's getting all the bones wrong, like if the skeleton were fucked up and mismatched. And it's just really creepy and she keeps mm-hmm. singing it and she's getting higher and higher pitched and faster and faster and faster and then finally she just hangs up on him. So in a really bold move, he looks up Sharon's phone number and he calls her right back because he's it's got to be her. He just broke Sal's leg. She threatened to get him back. It's a girl. Who else would be calling him talking about broken bones? But that was kind of a bad move, bro. It's the middle of the night and her dad answers and tells him like never to call the house again. The week passes and now it's the night of the blind date. Carrie has secured his father's 1982 Mustang. It's bright blue. Fancy. But it's kind of a bitch to start. I'm assuming it's like a manual transmission. And here's the part where I ask, Danielle, can you drive a stick? No. Did anyone ever try to teach you to drive a stick? No. No one I no one ever had a stick. That we knew, like my parents never did. Yeah. I don't know if it's like a, maybe it's like a country thing. I never drove a stick, but my, my best friend in college, she had like a six speeder Nissan Sentra. Mm. One afternoon at the park, she tried to teach me and it was people pointed oh, and no. laughed. Oh. Like it was bad. I watched her drive to class one time with a bowl of cereal, eating the bowl of cereal Breaking, working the clutch, shifting, and driving at the same time. Like, I have no idea. He's driving to pick up this mystery girl. He decides that Amanda, that can't be her name. You know, she needs something a little more sexy. Like, uh, Nadia. (laughs) all the Amandas listening your name is not sexy <laughs> this guy like I had to laugh here because <laughs> this asshole in his 82 Mustang thinks he looks like Ralph Macchio he's most likely getting catfished uh-huh. and now he's making up like sexy spy names for her this and the first episode of catfish that existed <laughs> Well, and then on top of that, like, he's also decided, like, what she looks like, right, based on her voice. And he's decided that, and and again, sorry if you're not an 80s kid, look at the fuck up. He's decided she's got, like, this straight black hair, like a sexy crystal gale. (laughs) And I will pause so that the young kids can Google it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who Crystal Gale is. 
Also, <laughs> I would like to say that I loved her. That is it. And I just want us to absorb this vibe, okay? Yes. Let me just add, we've done a few Steinbucks, and this is the first ever straight-up mention of sex. It's been implied before, but here, Carrie, he's driving to the house on this, like, good side of town. He's thinking about how she probably won't want to put out until after the movie. <laughs> and, you know, he likes that. He likes a girl with some morals, right? Like, let's wait till after the movie, you know? Per I mean, personally, I, you know, I want to suck your dick the second I get in the car, but, you know, maybe <laughs> I'll allow myself some cinema first. <laughs> From one 15-minute phone call, he's decided she looks like Crystal Gale and he's getting it, right? But he's also getting a little nervous because this girl seems super hot and horny and he, and this is a direct quote, it was too good to leave out, he is no Burt Reynolds. All suave and sophisticated. This is what I think of Sophistication Burt Reynolds is at yeah. the top of the list. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. He is not on the top of the list for me. <laughs> With his giant mustache. Okay. It's like hey. those people who love Tom Selleck on Magnum P.I. <laughs> With the tiny shorts. <laughs> With the shorts and like the chest hair and the mustache. I'm like, what are you guys? <laughs> Yeah. If you say but people no. do. There are women that like go insane for that. They they do. I mean, I mean obviously he was like a heartthrob when that was on. Like he was like the guy. Yeah, but I got to tell you like I've never looked at my husband and go, "Wow, I really like to see more of your legs." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, baby. Your legs are gorgeous. So he turns the corner and the Mustang like chokes and backfires, which is super classy. And he finally pulls up to Amanda's house. It's a nice house, but it's run down. Like maybe no one's done any kind of yard work or maintenance in years. In the setting autumn sun surrounded by brown and dead leaves, it looks pretty creepy. But he was getting it after all, so he's gonna go up and ring the bell. Mm -hmm. There's no answer. He rings it again. Nothing. He's wondering, maybe he should go around back? And then it kind of hits him. This is a prank. Stupid prank to get back at him for Sal. Nobody lives here. Nobody's lived here for years. So he turns around. He's going to go back to the car and he hears the front door open behind him. There's a man and a woman there and they're not really old, but somehow they look kind of frail. The man has glasses and the woman has like a shawl wrapped around her. She's holding a teacup. Carrie asks for Amanda and he explains he's her date. The woman drops her teacup and starts screaming, no, 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 and she looks like she's about to faint. And the man kind of closes his eyes and takes a deep breath, and he says, Amanda's dead. 
And the woman starts pointing at Carrie, screaming, It's him! And the man asks, Why are they back here? Why is he torturing them? Amanda was dead, and what was he doing back at their house? And Carrie flips out, and he runs for the car. These people are crazy. This joke sucks. He's out. But naturally, when he's trying to start the Mustang, it floods, and it won't start. He looks back up the house, and he has a flash of a memory, and he doesn't know where it came from. For some reason, he knows that that house has a basement rec room with wood paneling. But that's it. There's nothing else. He has no idea when he was ever in there. He gets the car to start, and he just kind of starts driving around. He's not really going anywhere. He just doesn't want to go home. He wants to think and try to make sense of what just happened. He drives up this lookout point and parks the car, and he's trying to sort everything out. It starts to rain outside, and he's just sitting in the car. He's thinking things over. I mean, what the fuck just happened? He did have this big hole in his memory, though, and it's almost a year long. I mean, could this girl somehow be from that time? He had known her, or maybe he just mind-tricked himself into going to that house? He's, he was going to go home. He was going to go home and call Margot and get the real address of the sexy Amanda, who is probably somewhere right now waiting for him. <laughs> so he heads back to his house. He calls Margot. not home but right after that he hangs up his own phone rings and it's that scary girl again she's singing that bone song but when they get to the part about the leg bone she just keeps repeating the leg bone the leg bone the leg bone the leg bone and each time it's more crazy and angry and high-pitched and then at last she just hangs up Our boy's not having a good night. <laughs> and it started with such promise. He decides, you know what, fuck this night, fuck this day, I'm done. And he passes out. The next morning, he's woken up by the phone ringing again. And this time, it's the blind date girl. She says, it's Mandy. And where was he last night? She thinks that he stood her up. And he says, no, I, I think I just got the address wrong. So they decide they're going to meet up before school tomorrow because it's her first day at their new school and he can show her around before the bell. And before she gets off the phone, she asks him to tell her one thing about himself. And of course, he throws at her that, you know, well, you know, people say I look just like Ralph Macchio. <laughs> and he asks her to say one thing about herself. And she says she's really turned on by guys who look just like Ralph Macchio. <laughs> How very specific. <laughs> but again, as soon as he hangs up, he gets another call from the crazy chick singing the bone song. This time she's repeating the part about the leg bone. Finally, he hangs up on her like he's had enough. Enough of this crazy person. Well, didn't he break a leg? That has to be why she's singing about leg bones. That's why he thinks it's Sharon. Mm -hmm. Because he broke Sal's leg. And Sharon yeah. is Sal's girlfriend. 
Right. And his football right? career is over. Over. The next morning is a Sunday, and Carrie is up in the morning. He meets his dad in the kitchen, who tells him that Sal has broken his leg, and it is front page news on a Sunday paper. Oh, jeez. Sal is still in the hospital. He went into some kind of shock after his leg broke, and he's in a coma. What? He's not regained consciousness. From a leg break? Okay, it says that the, it was a simple leg break, but that because of trauma, he went into shock. And is now, I don't, I'm not a fucking doctor. I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, but that's what happened. In the Facebook group, I want to know. Can you go into we a coma know. from shock? <laughs> we will take any kind of medical profession, medical adjacent. So basically, front page news, Sal's leg is broken. The season is over before it even starts. Dad starts to go on this, like, another rant about Donald the Great. And how he never would have pulled anything like this. And then Carrie kind of gets pissed at him again. And they go round and round and round. Dad reads, Carrie doesn't really want to discuss Donald. And he says, you know what? I'm leaving for work for the day. And Carrie should definitely not let his younger brother sleep through the day. Carrie tells his dad that he and Sean, they actually have plans uh, to play basketball today. They're going to go up to the school courts. They're going to play a little bit of one-on-one. Cool. And then Carrie asks his dad, you know, hey, um, just out of curiosity, is making like weird phone calls to people, is that illegal? Because, you know, asking for a friend who's getting these weird phone calls and they're kind of threatening but his dad lets him know, um, you know, go ahead and tell your friend um, <laughs> that no cop is going to take this seriously because it's clearly just a prank. They've got more important, like, cop stuff to do. I mean, just last night, somebody broke into the farm store and stole, like, two dozen bags of grain. So what? dad That's leaves not. to protect the town from the grain thieves and Carrie sits <laughs> down to finish his breakfast. Realizing, you know, this is probably the longest conversation he's had with his dad in a long time. He goes upstairs to wake up his little brother, who has now decided he doesn't want to play basketball after all. Later, at the basketball courts, Josh and Carrie are playing one-on-one. And Josh is just like, he's a big goofball dork. Like, he's that guy that's, he can't do anything seriously. He keeps attempting to dunk while, like, at the same time delivering a line, right? Like, <laughs> in your face! Or, like, here comes Dr. J! Problem is, like, he misses horribly each time. And I keep, I keep thinking of that scene from Cable Guy where well, Chip shows up to play basketball. <laughs> there's also a similar scene in Along Came Polly with Ben Stiller. I don't know if you ever saw that, but it's... Yes. And he has his Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace, who is his Aww. friend. And they're playing basketball and he's like, let it rain! And he's just like falling <laughs> I cannot. Like, I cried it's... thinking about it because it's just so funny. And he's like blobby and fat and like sweating <laughs> everywhere. And he's like, let it rain! <laughs> That's, That's exactly what's happening. Exactly what's happening right now. So they are playing super hard, but really bad. <laughs> and 
Josh remembers that like Carrie was supposed to have gone out on this hot date the night before. He wants to know all about it. You know how to go, how to go. Mm-hmm. Carrie let Josh know, okay, the date's postponed. Um, he didn't go into really what happened with the random people, the random house or his flash memory. But one of the reasons that Carrie likes hanging out with Josh is that, you know, Josh doesn't ask a lot of questions. He doesn't want to talk about the missing year and Carrie's memory. He doesn't want to really talk about Donald at all. Josh puts Carrie at ease in that way. So he didn't want to say anything that would lead a discussion to talking about that missing time. He tells Josh that like they've got another date to meet up and show her around the school in the morning. And Josh can't wait to meet this chick who they have both decided based on nothing that she is super hot. And they're talking about this when they hear, there he is. And four guys from the football team start running towards them. And what happens next is so bizarre. I thought he might be dreaming and he was. He has this, like, blackout daydream moment where he goes all superhuman and, like, kicks everybody's ass. And then, like, Sal's girlfriend shows up out of nowhere and it was like, it was all a mistake. We never should have doubted you. Um, But that's definitely a flash of bullshit. Because what actually happens is these four guys from the football team show up and, like, just kick the shit out of Carrie. Like, they beat him up. Josh stands there and complains, but doesn't really do anything. The next day at school, and this is Mysterious Mandy's first day at Revere High School. And right out of the gate, I kind of like her. When Carrie gets to his locker, he's met by the exact opposite of what he thought Mandy would be. (laughs) Because he had her blown up into some kind of like dark haired porn star. Right. But... Everything about Mandy is light and kind of delicate. She has light blonde hair, pale blue eyes. She's got very slight and small features. She's wearing this like light blue kind of smock dress and Carrie decides she almost looks like Alice in Wonderland. There's one exception though. She has these big, wide, pouty lips and She's working this dark purple lipstick. Purple again. I feel like Stein must have either dated or had a crush on a girl who wore purple lipstick. Because that mm-hmm. comes up a lot. We never and really it's hear all... about red. Except for that one time there was red, I think. Well, anytime it's somebody like sassy or sexy, mm-hmm. he always has them in purple lips. And chill. But Mandy, she's also super witty. Because remember, Carrie's just got the shit kicked out of him. And the first thing she says to him is, you look disgusting. And he says something like, oh yeah, I fell out of bed this morning. (laughs) And she comes right back at him with, is your bed on a cliff? They begin the tour and he shows her where her homeroom will be. He takes her to the cafeteria, whatnot. And asks, you know, hey, where are you from? She's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm from all over. I move around a lot. Mm. And he says, well, you know, what what school did you go to before this one? She's like, well, you know, it was a private school. You wouldn't know it. And the whole time, there's, there's a lot of, like, sexual references. 
right? There's like some kind of sly jokes and glancing and touching going on. She is for sure putting it out there, okay? She's letting him know he can get it. Uh, despite his, you know, horribly fucked up face. <laughs> but as I'm walking around the school, Mandy also seems kind of formal. Like, sort of old-fashioned. She stares at people with wild-colored hair, and she asks if there's a boy's gym and a girl's gym, and she seems kind of impressed to hear that the gym is actually co-ed. He shows her to her homeroom, and he asks her to the autumn dance. She says she'd love to go, and just to make sure that he can find her this time, she suggests that they meet up at the school. So she turns to go, and he opens his locker, and they both scream. Inside Carrie's locker, all over the inner walls and books, everything in his locker has been smeared with bright red blood. Which, as you might have guessed, turns out to be only red paint. Carrie gets excused from homeroom to go to the principal's office to talk about getting new textbooks. The principal's concerned about bullying, but Carrie assures him there's not really any problem, he just needs some new books. And he promises that he'll let the principal know if there's, you know, anything else that happens. He leaves the office and walks right into Sharon, Sal's girlfriend. Sharon is definitely still pissed at him. I mean, it only happened the other day. And says that he's basically ruined Sal's life and he's never going to play football again. And it's 100% Carrie's fault and he should just fuck right off. Carrie's like, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. It was an accident. Please stop calling me. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not calling you. Leave me alone. Never talk to me again. And she leaves him there in the hall. So he's gone through this whole day with people treating him kind of like that, like kind of like crap. Word's gotten around. He's broken Sal's leg. The season's over. Everyone is being pretty vocal about thinking he's an asshole. Mm -hmm. He eats lunch by himself. He has a very depressing ride home on the bus up the hills to his house. He has a dinner of frozen microwaved McDonald's cheeseburgers. (laughs) And he passes out by eight. It's not funny, but it is. (laughs) It's not. But this kid is having a crisis, okay? (laughs) He's he's also having these really vivid waking dreams. It's a recurring dream that he has again and again. And in the dream, he and Donald are in a canoe on the lake. And their parents are on the shore. And they're shouting encouragement at them, telling them they're great. They're doing a great job. Donald is kind of lazily rowing this canoe, and Carrie is, like, kicking ass, trying just to keep up with Donald. And they're slowly moving towards the drop-off of a waterfall. But Donald isn't facing the waterfall. He can't see that they're about to fall off the side of this cliff. And Carrie just doesn't say anything. And they keep moving towards the edge of the cliff. And before they can fall off the edge, the phone rings and wakes him up. It's about 1 a.m. and it's Josh and he's wanting to know if Carrie met Mandy that day and what she was like. Mostly, what did she look like? Boys are dumb. So Josh and Carrie talk about Carrie's shitty day and then they hang up. 
And Carrie's left there thinking about Mandy, trying to recall every inch of her and thinking about whether or not he could get it or how hard it would be. When he realizes she didn't carry anything with her when they met. She didn't have any books. She didn't have a backpack. She didn't even have a purse, which is kind of weird. But he decides to focus on her body and falls back asleep. When Carrie gets up the next morning, he finds his dad waiting for him. And right away, he can tell something's up. His dad puts his arm around him and leads him into the kitchen, where his dad tells him that he's just gotten some news. What's the news, Danielle? They found a dead body. It was Amanda. No, that's a good guess, though. His dad tells him that his brother Donald has escaped. Escaped? I thought he was dead. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> it's at this moment Carrie realizes that he doesn't know where his brother is. He hasn't known. His dad apologizes and said that, you know, he's tried to protect Carrie. All the doctors have said that he shouldn't talk about it, but now he's going to have to talk a little bit about the last year because his dad asks him if he remembers anything. Hang on a second. Roman! Whoever is talking, please talk softer. I think he's on the mic to his friends on the Xbox. Oh. Because I'm hearing a lot of, dude, bro. <laughs> My 10-year-old used the word clutch in a sentence the other day and I almost shit myself. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's totally clutch. What the fuck did he just say? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Go watch Thomas the Train. Um, Go watch Thomas the Train. <laughs> I do not approve. That show is frightening. Hey, at least then he was chunky and had like <laughs> teeth falling out and all he wanted to do was snuggle. I did Aww. not approve growing up. Um, when he only watched a little bit of Thomas, Roman's jam was um, the Christopher Reeve Superman. One, two, three, and four. Over and over and over. That's all he wanted to watch. That's much better than Thomas. Yeah, it is. Hell Yeah. So yeah, so he doesn't know where his brother has been. He realizes that's probably a pretty big hole in his memory. And his dad's like, okay, do you remember anything? And Carrie says that all he can remember is this vague memory of a flash of headlights. He remembers seeing headlights and that's it. So dad says, you know, it would have been easier to tell this a long time ago, but again, he was trying to follow these doctors' recommendations. They said it would be better if Carrie's memory came back on its own. But now that his brother's escaped, he's, he's going to only tell Carrie enough to deal with the danger of the situation, but no details. He tells Carrie a year ago, in July, they were in this car accident. Carrie and Donald and Donald's girlfriend were in the front seat of the car. It was a bad crash. Donald's girlfriend was killed. Carrie hit his head. 
Donald was basically unharmed, but Donald couldn't accept the fact that his girlfriend was dead. He kind of cracked up and he had this like breakdown. Eventually they had to send him to a mental hospital. And that's where he's been until now. The hospital is two days away by car. So if Donald is trying to make it back to them, it could take a while. But he wanted to put Carrie on his guard. And Carrie asks his dad, is Donald dangerous? His dad doesn't really answer. And before he heads off to work, Carrie asks what Donald's girlfriend's name is or was. Mm -hmm. And what do you think her name was, Danielle? Amanda. Amanda. You are correct, sir. Yes. 50 points. <laughs> 50 points for Slytherin. Um, that weekend was the weekend of the autumn dance. Carrie drives his piece of shit Mustang to the high school parking lot and meets Mandy, who is a tad overdressed, but generally looks kind of sexy, so he's on board. The dance is the movie fantasy October high school dance of our dreams. There's twinkle lights and streamers and autismal colors, pumpkins and hay bales and scarecrows scattered around. There's snack tables and a punch bowl and there's like couples on the floor actually dancing, which is bullshit because that never happens. And Carrie is delighted to see that Mandy was hiding some pretty big boobs under that dress she had on the other day. And he is really quick to show her off and introduce her to Josh, who of course hits on her. She pulls Carrie onto the dance floor and after a few minutes, like a slow dance comes up. She kind of dances him to the back of the room. She pushes him up against a wall off to the side. And you know, he's definitely thinking, okay, game on, right? So she reaches up and puts her hand on the back of his neck and he notices her hands are really cold. She goes in and she kisses him. Which remember, his face is still pretty fucked up and she starts kissing him hard pulling him closer, kissing him harder, and he's actually finding it kind of hard to breathe. Like, she's really strong, and he can't seem to, like, get out of her grasp. This is more like an attack, and right before he starts to panic, she pulls back, kind of laughs, and says, oh, you know, she's, she gets carried away. And she excuses herself and goes to the ladies' room. He reaches up, and he feels... His mouth is bleeding. Josh comes over to talk for a minute and Carrie realizes Mandy's been gone in the bathroom for a long time. So he goes to look for her. He looks all over the dance, but Mandy seems to have disappeared. And then he thinks he catches a glimpse of her heading out of the side doors of the gym. And he follows her outside. He's calling her name over the music from the dance in the background. But he doesn't see her outside either. He does see those same football guys that beat him up coming his way. 
And they start jogging over to him and they call his name and Carrie's thinking that they are back for round two and he runs inside the gym. They run after him and they're calling for him to stop and Carrie gets the idea he's going to head down the stairwell to the basement and he's going to hide. But they find him and they corner him. And then they start to apologize for kicking the shit out of him because they've just been to see Sal at the hospital who told them that no way did Carrie fall on him and break his leg on purpose and that they should go and make things right with him. Carrie is definitely relieved, no hard feelings, okay, and then they take off. He's feeling pretty good about the fact that now word's going to get out and get around that he did not break Sal's leg on purpose and everybody would stop hating him. So Carrie goes back into the gym to look for Mandy. He finds her standing around drinking a cup of cider. She says she's been looking for him. Why did he run away? He likes her, right? He won't run away again, will he? And he kind of calms her down and they get back to dancing. They're dancing to songs like, oh, this is fantastic. Uh, the Carpenters. The Carpenters. We've only just begun. Okay, isn't this like 86? Yeah, but it's a high school dance. Like, the DJ's going to pull up shit from the last 10 years. (laughs) So we've only just begun. Yeah, so, like, it's, like, it's a Carpenter's Happening thing. They're also dancing to Donna Summer, which is definitely disco. So they've got an old-ass DJ. So they dance the night away, right? And then they leave the gym, and they're walking to Carrie's Mustang. Carrie had parked it a few blocks away because he couldn't find a parking spot. So they're walking along, and Carrie is 100% thinking only about sex specifically sex with mandy okay they try talking about something else but he keeps getting derailed by like all these x-rated thoughts about the girl he took to the dance and after walking what feels like six miles and i wonder why they finally start to approach the mustang when they get there they see that all the tires have been slashed And not just like someone came along and punctured them, but slashed to the point that there are big chunks of rubber that has been torn off. And they're just kind of lying strewn around the street where the Mustang is slumped. Mandy screams and says that she can't bear to look. It's so violent. She can't, ugh. Okay, aggressive mouth kisser. Okay. Right? And right about then is when they notice that someone's also taking the time to smash out all the windows and fuck up the windshield. Mandy says something helpful like, someone must really hate you. Just then there's like, there's a rustling in the bushes. And Carrie freaks out because he thinks maybe this person is stuck around to jump them. But it's Josh. He jumps out and yells, boo! And his date, Jesse, kind of follows with a look on her face. It's like, yeah, he's not as funny as he thinks that he is. And they kind of check out the damage for a minute. And Josh and Jesse offer to give Carrie and Mandy a ride. Carrie's like, yeah, sure. But Mandy flips out a little bit. And she's like, nope, no thanks. I'm going to catch the bus. I'm going to run and catch the bus. And she, like, flags down the bus driver as it's leaving from the stop. And she yells over her shoulder, you know, hey, I'll call you. Okay, bye. Okay. Okay. Kind of weird. Very weird. 
So, you know, Josh and Jesse give Carrie a ride back to his house where he can call his dad to file a police report because his dad is a cop. So he gets to the house. He goes inside. He's kind of freaking himself out a little bit. He's getting more and more paranoid all the time. He picks up the phone and the phone is dead. There's no dial tone. He kind of just has this feeling and into the dead phone he says, hello? And the voice comes back at him. And it's that same girl with that same fucked up voice. In my mind, I feel like it's like the exorcist voice. Like it's, <laughs> it's all over the show. And she starts singing the bone song again. But now she stops singing and she starts talking about how she's going to kill him. She's going to kill him slowly. She's going to break every bone in his body one at a time. And she hangs up the phone. And now there's a dial tone and Carrie calls his dad and tells him, you better come home. Dad is going to have the car dusted for prints in the morning. He suggests Carrie goes up to bed. When he gets up to bed, Mandy calls. She's like, hey, I had a good time. The car slashed up was just too much for me. I just kind of had to get out of there. Let's make plans. Let's have coffee at this coffee shop in town tomorrow and we can, and we can talk. And once again, Carrie falls asleep thinking about Mandy. That morning, Dad asks Carrie to drop off some insurance forms for the car on the way to the coffee shop. Carrie is walking there, and he's kind of lost in his thoughts, and he bumps into somebody, and who is it? But Margot. You remember Margot, the girl that supposedly set Mandy up with Carrie? He's asking her how her new school is and how everything's going. She's like, hey, you know, everything's going great. And he's like, oh, you know, by the way, thank you for giving Mandy my phone number. And she's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know, Mandy. I've never given anyone your phone number. Um, good for you, though. But I don't know what you're talking about. Carrie kind of has a moment of clarity. He starts to think with his big head here, okay? <laughs> and he realizes that, you know, he really doesn't know anything about Mandy. And when she gets to the coffee shop, he's going to confront her. He's going to get some answers. He's going to figure out, like, what's going on here. Carrie waits at the coffee shop for Mandy for an hour and a half. And she never shows. When Carrie gets home, the phone is ringing and it's Mandy. She says, you know, I'm sorry. I just got hung up. Why don't we go out tonight? Like, I know your car's toast. I'll borrow a car. I'll come pick you up. I'll pick you up around 730. She really wants to talk to him. And Carrie sees his dad in the kitchen. He's like, hey, tonight I'm going to go out with Mandy again. His dad reminds him to be careful. Somebody might be out to get him. The thing with the car is kind of over the line. Like, it's not a prank. That's something with a lot of anger. Just be really careful going out at night with your girlfriend. Carrie gets all dolled up. He's excited for this date. You know, even though he wants answers, he's still trying really hard to nail Mandy. He's excited about it. Good prospects. He's about to leave. He picks up the phone and he instantly recognizes the voice on the other end. 
It's Donald. And all he says is, be careful, I'm coming. And Carrie panics and hangs up on him. Donald does not call back. And this is before Star Six Nine, so he couldn't call him. Later that night, Carrie's waiting for Mandy to pick him up. And it is that kind of perfect fall night where it gets dark really early and the air feels different. Like you're waiting for the lights to go down in a movie theater. You know something is about to happen. Mandy shows up in this car and she's acting kind of weird, but he suggests they just drive around town because he just wants to talk to her. So he asks her, hey, you know, what's, what's your story? Tell me about your family. Tell me, you know, tell me, tell me something about you. She's like, I don't know if I can tell you. Hmm, I just, I like to stay mysterious. I can't tell you why I didn't show up this afternoon, though. You know, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I think someone's following me. Specifically, she thinks that Carrie's brother Donald is following her. And Carrie is stunned. And he asks, how does she even know Donald? And she says, oh, you know, I don't know him, but I think that it's him that's following me. And Carrie looks up out the window and he realizes Mandy is driving him by the old house from the beginning of the book. And he's like, okay, wait a minute. Something's not right here. We need, we need to focus, we need to talk. So he suggests that she drive them up to that point lookout place so they can park the car and have a conversation. So she turns the car to head up the hills to this lookout point. All this is starting to freak Carrie out a little bit because it's at that point in time he decides to let Mandy know that he ran into Margot in town that day. Margot doesn't know who she is, and she never told her to call Carrie. Mandy kind of looks over at him and swerves the car to the middle of the road. Right into the lane of an oncoming car. And all Carrie can see is headlights coming his way. They're about to have a head-on collision. And now there's a flashback to the accident. So Carrie sees these headlights coming at him. Immediately he has this flashback. He remembers the accident. He remembers he was the one driving the car. And that Amanda, Donald's girlfriend, was sitting in between them. That she had been thrown forward with only her head punching through the windshield. He could see her mangled face on the other side. He knew she was dead, but Donald couldn't see her. He couldn't see that Amanda was dead. And he looked over and saw his brother shaking and calling her name. And now they get jolted back to reality. Mandy has pulled the car over to the side of the road and she's apologizing. Whew, that was a really close call. She doesn't know what happened. Her hand must have just slipped off the wheel. But Carrie remembered. He remembered all of the crash, but mostly he remembered he had been driving and everything had been his fault. He had killed Amanda. 
So he asks Manny to take him home. This is too much for him. He can't process. So she does. But in a weird move, she kind of takes him home and they pass by that same house again. It's kind of out of the way. But she says, you know, that's the only way she knows how to go to get to his house. Gary gets home. He goes up to his room. He's trying to piece together his memories of the night of the crash. He had been hanging out with Donald and Amanda. Amanda had wanted to go for a drive. Carrie had begged Donald to let him drive. And even though Carrie was only 15 at the time, Donald wanted to make him happy. So he let Carrie drive. It was dark. And then the wreck happened. And Amanda went through the windshield. And then what happened? He was, he was still missing something. He fell asleep trying to remember, and the next morning his dad suggests, you know, maybe you should talk to a shrink, something. But, you know, he's he's got to head out. At that time, Sean, his little brother, also heads to the door, and he's like, where are you going? And Sean is conveniently going to go visit some friend upstate for a few days. So Carrie is going to be alone in the house that night. So Carrie kind of turns to his dad and he's like, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I think Donald called the house the other day. And Carrie told him what he said. And Carrie's dad is like, well, maybe I should not work tonight. You're going to be here all alone. I don't think Donald's dangerous. Part of the reason we had to have him sent away after the accident is that when cops arrived on the scene, Donald was screaming and choking Carrie out. They thought he was trying to kill him. But he's sure it's fine. He's got to work. Call me if you need me. I'm out. And he bounces and leaves oh, Carrie there God. alone. It's getting dark and Carrie goes into this like full 80s horror movie lockdown the house montage, right? He's checking every window. He's pulling down the shades. He's double checking all the doors. He's turned off the lights. He's freaking himself out. The farther he goes, the more he's getting paranoid. He's sure that Donald is coming for him tonight. So he's locked down the house. He's sitting in the dark and the phone rings. It's Mandy. She's flipping out. She says, Donald's in her house. Donald has come after her. She's locked him in the basement, but she has to get away. She's coming over. She hangs up the phone. When she gets there, she convinces him that they are both in danger. Donald could be right behind her. And she's got this cabin in the woods that belongs to her family. She's got a key. They can go. They can hide out until they get help. Donald will never find them there. And for some stupid fucking reason, this makes total sense to Carrie. Hey, let's go to this cabin in the middle of the woods. He'll never find us there. Bet you don't even know him. I think that because of this memory hole, like he's so used to kind of going with things. I don't know. He packs a few things. He goes to call his dad, picks up the phone. The line is dead. Phone's not working. Can't call dad. 
Can't call and tell Dad where we're going. But Mandy pushes him out the door. There's no time to lose. Donald could be right on their trail. Put your, put your pack in the trunk. He lifts up the lid and he sees a lot of camping equipment and this long wooden mallet. The heavy kind. Almost like a wooden sledgehammer. And he's like, oh, Mandy? <laughs> what? What's, uh, and she's like, oh, that's just my dad's stuff. It's camping equipment. Just put your bag in. Let's go. He's like, sounds good. Puts his bag in, jumps into the passenger side. They drive off. In the next scene, they're driving deep into the woods. And after a while, they come across this like crappy one room cabin. It's pretty run down. Looks like nobody's been there in a while. So Carrie starts to realize maybe he should find a place to call his dad and let him know where he is. Mandy, Mandy is unconcerned. She has no idea where he could even find a phone to do that. And after all, you know, they could, uh, they could spend the night together here. And, you know, why don't you just go get some firewood for the fireplace? I'm going to make some hot chocolate and then we can... You know. Now there's some cabin sex on the table, and Carrie is 100% distracted from the outrageousness of the situation with the promise of literally nailing Big Chested Mandy. That's where we're at. I'm beginning to think that, like, teenage boys will do anything for sex more so than I already thought. Yeah, I think these books confirm it. So he builds a fire and they start sipping their hot chocolate. He asks her to finally tell him about her family and, you know, just some more information about herself, you know, anything. He wants to bond a little bit before they bone. But before he could hear her answer, he starts to feel really drowsy and sleepy. And he, he can't keep his eyes open. And he blacks out. When he wakes up, he's got a headache. And he's still sitting, but he can't move. He's tied to the chair. Mandy is standing across from him, looking very happy. Mandy is fucking cracked. And she does this little happy dance, pulling at the ends of her hair and saying, they have to get started finish. Her voice changes and he recognizes her voice as that same fucked up one that's been calling and threatening him. She starts singing the bone song again and pacing faster and faster, singing higher and higher and becoming more and more hysteric, pulling at her hair. She admits that it was also her with the red paint, with the slashing of the tires. And he tries to calm her down. Maybe he can get her to talk. But she gets right up in his face and starts singing. The toe bone's connected to the knee bone. The knee bone's connected to the backbone. And then she starts scream laughing and spitting in his face. Bitch is crazy. And she's about to fuck him up. She stands up and smacks him hard across the face. And she announces, 
that it's time to start. She disappears. And then comes back, carrying the long wooden mallet from the trunk. She's going to keep her promise. She's going to break every bone in his body. starting to lose it as she approaches him with the hammer and he starts screaming at her why why is she doing this and she tells him what's mandy's problem what is her motive i really don't know did you have her picked no i'm super puzzled puzzled she is amanda's sister I was going to say, maybe it's a twin. (laughs) Right? I thought it might have been a twin, too. Mm -hmm. It doesn't specifically say it's a twin sister, Mm -hmm. but she does say that it's, she's the sister. She bends down and takes off his left shoe and then his right. She takes off his socks. She lifts the mallet and swings it down. Oh no. Crushing his left foot. (laughs) Carrie screams and screams. The pain is unreal and she lifts the mallet again. Carrie closes his eyes and she laughs. She says, you know what? She's feeling charitable today. She knows he doesn't want to watch the next one. So she takes a moose head off of the cabin wall and starts pulling all the stuffing out of it. And then she fits it over Carrie's head like a Halloween mask. So he can't see the next blow coming. But before she swings the mallet, she takes time to laugh and tell him how cute he looks. So she takes aim. And she starts singing. The toe bones connected to the... And then he hears a crash of a door opening and Mandy yelling, No! Go away! He can hear shuffling footsteps but he's halfway to passing out from the pain. And there's also kind of a lack of air under this taxidermy moose head. And he hears a voice. It's Donald. He's saying, Nancy, stop. And she's screaming, let me finish, let me finish him. And then there's a thud. And Carrie can feel someone standing in front of him, but they're quiet. They're not saying anything. The moose head is lifted and taken off, and he sees Donald. He's holding the mallet. He had given Nancy slash Mandy a little tap on the head, and she is crumpled on the floor. Donald drops the mallet. He bends down. He starts to untie Carrie, and he he starts to explain He and Nancy had both been patients at the mental hospital where Donald has been for the last year. Nancy has been in mental hospitals her whole life. 
she's had several incidences where she's tried to take over someone else's identity. So when Donald told her the story of what happened to him and Carrie and Amanda, she created this persona of Nancy, Amanda's sister, and she escaped the hospital to come after Carrie and get revenge. When she left, Donald knew what she was trying to do, but no one would listen to him, so he escaped as well and tried to catch her before she could get to Carrie. And he almost caught her a few times. But as he's explaining this, Nancy starts to rise up from the floor behind him. And she picks up the mallet where he dropped it. Carrie can't really talk, but somehow he lunges from the chair on his broken foot and tackles her just in time before she can clobber Donald with this mallet. The cops show up because Donald called them before he came to rescue Carrie. Nancy is dragged away and Carrie is taken off to the hospital. And the next scene is them at school, joking around with Josh. Carrie's in a wheelchair with his foot in a cast. And Josh is joking about setting him up with another blind date. And that's how it ends. Wow. Right? That's a lot. Somewhat unexpected. Yeah. Yeah, that's really hardcore for what we are used to dealing with. Yeah, I don't know if if that is just the Point Horror series. Because remember, even the snowman was a little more hardcore. She had the boyfriend who was strangling people. Yeah. Well, we went full-on horror movie in this one. Like, there's sex, there's, like... There's some kind of some graphic torture happening. Like she went mm-hmm. all Kathy Bates on him. I was going to say it was very misery. Yeah, that was my thought too. <laughs> that was my thought too. But I feel like misery probably predated this book. 86? I don't know when misery came out. It was the 80s, I thought, but maybe. I don't know. I have read misery, but I don't. It has to be from the 70s because in the book, that girl was a was a girl in the 50s. So it had to be the set. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Misery. There's too many Googles with misery. (laughs) Oh, actually, 1990 is when misery came out. Oh, wow. The movie. The movie or the book? The book. Was it a short story or was it a book? It was a book. It was a novel. Let's see. 87. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. But no, I generally like far and away of all the books that we've read and the ones that I remember, this one is the best. Yeah. It's one that, uh, you know, we, we had to condense 200 pages into a single episode. So I had to cut some and kind of glaze over some things. But he's almost in a Ray Bradbury kind of way. Like he's very descriptive. You... You feel that fall feeling. You feel that high school horror movie thing happening. It was very enjoyable. It moved really quickly. And that scene at the end just really got to me where she started taking his shoes off. And I'm going, I know. Ew. surely not. 
he's not going to go there. He's And then he went there. Yeah. It's interesting how he toned it down so much going forward. But maybe if he started, so if he started doing Goosebumps too, like he figured he had to do that or I don't know. But I mean, this book was printed by Scholastic and yeah. he makes very open references to the size of her breasts and mm-hmm. how long it's going to take for her to put out all this different stuff. I don't know. I really liked it though. Yeah, it was good. <clears throat> we hope you think it was a good episode too. We really had fun with the story. Danielle, can you talk really quick about the Patreon and what we have going on over there? We have an exciting development with our Patreon. A cup of swag. Cup of swag. Woo! We found these really awesome color-changing cups. So that is what your swag will come in, and it will say Snacks with Stein on it. So you'll have some of the first official Snacks with Stein merch to ever exist. And the link is patreon.com slash Snacks with Stein. And the lowest tier is $2 a month, and it gets you an entry into the Patreon, and it helps us out with the production of the show, work like with our mics and other stuff we might need, get us new books, all that fun stuff, and it just shows your appreciation for what we do. Oh, yes, so be excited for that. We're going to definitely do, do those drawings. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff in there. We don't get one of these. Maybe we'll buy one for ourselves. We don't know. Um, But next week, we're going to go back to our Goosebumps format. Danielle is going to tell us a story. And I believe it is Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. Yep. (laughs) Which I'm like low-key kind of excited about. Because I, in general, I enjoy like kitschy lawn things. I think they're Mm kind of fun. Until next time, we are out. Like Tesla after a lockdown. (laughs) Bye.